The story of Ruth is a story of grace and redemption, even for pagan Gentiles. Ruth shows us that God's redemptive plan always included the nations. She's the most unlikely person to find herself in the line of the Messiah. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Have you ever had something unexpected happen to you where events that seem to be taking turns only for the worse were followed by unexpected blessing, delight, and joy? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom begins a new 20-part series titled Ruth. The book of Ruth in the Old Testament describes in remarkably poetic language the common path of disobedience that takes a person away from God and the tragic circumstances that often lie at the end of that path. But the hero of the story in Ruth is not Ruth, not even Boaz or Naomi, but God himself. Good news, darkness followed by light, so common in Scripture you'll be encouraged to discover that failure to remain faithful to Yahweh can and does become the platform for His abundant display of grace. And Tom, the book of Ruth has timeless applications, and yet they're all practical for believers today, aren't they? You know, Bill, nothing could be more practical for us today, nothing more beautiful than the story that unfolds in the book of Ruth. Scripture, of course, is always applicable. Paul promised us that the Scripture is profitable for us in every conceivable way. This book is one of the great gems of Scripture. It's a beautiful story of redemption, and it shines against one of the darkest backdrops of biblical history. And yet at the same time, we get to see the unveiling, the revealing of the redemptive plan of God, His amazing grace toward those who repent, even toward those who fail to obey Him, how He can bring beauty out of the ashes. You'll love the journey. It's one of my favorite books. Let's enjoy it together. Thanks, Tom. And friend, let's join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. The book of Ruth has been called the perfect story. Alexander Schroeder wrote, No poet in the world has written a more beautiful short story. Daniel Block described it as one of the most delightful literary compositions of the ancient world. Goethe described Ruth as the loveliest complete work on a small scale. It is truly remarkable. It's remarkable to find a story that is 3,000 years old that still meets the standard for a good story today. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the Bible of the first century, and in our modern translations, the book of Ruth follows Judges because it is so closely attached in its theme and its events to the period of the Judges. But in the Hebrew versions, it is placed typically at the end of the Old Testament with the five books that were read at the feast times. Ruth was and is read at the Feast of Weeks, or as we sometimes call it, Pentecost, celebrating the grain harvest, because most of the story in this little book occurs during that season. 
I want to begin with just giving you some general general introduction to the book. And first of all, just in terms of the events described pretty clearly according to chapter 1, verse 1, the events occurred during the days of the judges. That's a period, by the way, that began with the death of Joshua in 1390 B.C., and it ended with the coronation of Saul as king, the first king in Israel in 1051 B.C. So it was a period of roughly 340 years, but without question, it was the darkest period of Israel's history. We'll talk more about why that's true later. But it was during this period of time that the story of Ruth unfolds. Now, although the events recorded here occurred during the time of the judges, the time of the writing has to be later than the events themselves, quite a bit later for a couple of reasons. First of all, the writer finds himself having to explain the social customs that were once in place but no longer are, as in chapter 3, verse 7, and in other places as well. And so there is an explanation required. David was already known and clearly famous in Israel. He's mentioned in the end in the genealogies as obviously an important personage. And so at the same time, there's no mention of Solomon. And typically, if Solomon was already alive, his kingship, his monarchy was the high point of the monarchy. And so he's usually mentioned. And since he's not mentioned, it's likely that this little book was written during David's reign as king sometime around 1000 BC. Its events happened more than 100 years before that. Who's the author of this little book? Well, the Talmud, the Jewish Talmud, identifies the author as Samuel, but that is simply a guess and conjecture. That's not a bad guess. It's possible that Samuel wrote this little book after he anointed David as king in 1 Samuel 16 and and before Samuel's death, obviously, but uh, we can't be sure. The truth is, everything is a conjecture. The author is simply unknown. Now, that brings us to the key issue, and that is, what is the purpose of this little book? Surprisingly, there is much disagreement on this issue. Maybe you've struggled with that as you've read it. You know, don't you love the books in the Bible where the writer tells you why he's writing it? You know, John ends his gospel by saying, there are many things Jesus did, but these are written so that you might know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. You're never left wondering why John wrote. Ruth, on the other hand, doesn't mention any sort of purpose. I think the reason there is such disagreement on the issue of the purpose of Ruth is that the author didn't have a single purpose, but rather a number of purposes in mind at different levels. Not all of the purposes are equally important, but nevertheless, I think there were a number of purposes involved. What I'm going to do is just sort of give you a catalog of them, and then we will see them unfold as we work our way through this book. So here are the purposes of Ruth as I see it, and I think we'll see it as we walk through the text. First of all, Ruth provides a personal portrait of the cycle of sin and deliverance that occurred during the period of the judges. 
You remember the cycle, as we've seen in Judges, as the other men have taught, was one of disobedience of God by the people, followed by God's judgment, followed by the repentance of the people, and then God raised up a deliverer. He brought deliverance to his people. That cycle, that national cycle, is repeated again and again and again. But here, it's recorded for us that same cycle in the life of just one family. A second purpose is that Ruth illustrates that while the times of the judges were dark indeed, there was still a remnant that God had redeemed and would redeem and who were righteous before him. We see this in Naomi. Frankly, there's a question, and I'll deal with this when we get there, whether Naomi was already a true believer in the true God of Israel before she returns to Israel or before all of the bad things in Moab happen or whether she comes to genuine faith after that. But regardless, we see it in in Naomi. We see it in Ruth after her conversion. And we see it in Boaz from the very first time we meet him. These are the remnant that God in dark times redeemed to himself. Thirdly, Ruth provides an example for us to follow, to imitate. In chapter 3, verse 11, Ruth is described as the virtuous woman, a, a woman of virtue, a woman of excellence, the same word that's used in Proverbs 31. There are things about Ruth that are worthy of imitation. Same thing is true of Boaz. In chapter 2, verse 1, Boaz is described using the same Hebrew word, a man of excellence, a man of virtue, a man of worth. Although learning from and copying their example is not the main point of the book of Ruth, it is, as with all of the Old Testament, a minor point of the book of Ruth. You know, let me just stop here a moment and say that today there is a trend in biblical interpretation, particularly when it comes to the Old Testament, to say that Learning from the examples, following and imitating the examples of people in Scripture is missing the point. It's making them the hero. It's moralizing the Bible. It's missing the story of redemption. I'm willing to agree that there are many who mishandle the stories of the Old Testament or the New Testament, for that matter, and make people the hero rather than God. That's wrong. That should never happen. I agree that many miss the main point of the story, but their abuse doesn't justify the the current overreaction. I'm always reminded of 1 Corinthians 10.6. After telling a story from the Old Testament, says this, Now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. We can learn and follow their examples, both what they did positively that we ought to imitate and what they did negatively that we ought to avoid. And that's true in this story as well. There's a fourth purpose that we'll see as it unfolds, and that is Ruth is a picture of redemption. In this book, we are introduced to an Old Testament concept called the kinsman-redeemer, The Hebrew word for that occurs in one of its forms 23 different times in this brief book. In this way, and we will notice we get there, that Boaz is a type of Christ. A fifth purpose is Ruth demonstrates that 
even in the Old Testament, women are co-heirs with men of God's saving grace. You, you know that wonderful verse in 1 Peter chapter 3 that, that speaks of, of our wives, men, as being our co-heirs, our fellow heirs of the grace of life. That wasn't just a New Testament concept. We learned from the book of Ruth that is an Old Testament concept as well. Number six, we will see that Ruth shows that God's plan of redemption includes more than the Jews. It even includes Gentiles when they repent and believe in Yahweh. In fact, look at chapter 2, verse 12. I think in some ways this verse may be the key verse of the entire book. Chapter 2, verse 12 Here you have Boaz talking to Ruth, and he says this, May Yahweh reward your work, and your wages be full from Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. The story of Ruth is a story of grace and redemption, even for pagan Gentiles. In fact, you can see this point brought out in Matthew's genealogy of Christ. Because in his genealogy, in Matthew 1, Ruth joins Tamar, Rahab, and Bathsheba as the only women mentioned. You know what makes that list remarkable? First of all, that there were women included at all. But secondly, that all four of those women are non-Israelites. Two were Canaanites. One was likely a Hittite, like her husband, and Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth shows us that God's redemptive plan always included the nations. She's the most unlikely person to find herself in the line of the Messiah. Eugene Merrill writes, Ruth exemplifies the principle of the sovereign grace of God, who not only is able to use the foreign to accomplish his eternal purposes, but even seems to delight in doing so. No one illustrates this better. Than Ruth. Number seven, Ruth puts on display the amazing work of God's providence. I think this is one of the major themes of the book of Ruth. We see worked out in the life of a family both negatively as God brings the weight of his punishing hand to bear and positively as he brings, as he brings blessing you see God's amazing providence. As Daniel Block points out, you see it in natural events like the famine. You see God's providence in seemingly chance events like Ruth landing in Boaz's field. You see it in daring plans like the one Naomi constructs in chapter 3. And you even see God's providence amazingly in legal processes in chapter 4. This is our God working out his plans. Leon Morris writes, the implication throughout this book is that God is watching over his people and he brings to pass what is good. The book is a book about God. He rules over all and brings blessing to those who trust him. Howells writes, with virtually his every word, the author is endeavoring to present the providence of God. With almost every word. John MacArthur writes, Ruth describes God's sovereign and providential care of seemingly unimportant people at apparently insignificant times, which later proved to be monumentally crucial to accomplishing God's will. Providence. Just two more. 
Ruth serves as an apologetic of David's right to be king. In chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, David's ancestry is traced back to Judah through Perez. Why is that even important? Because Jacob, when he was on his deathbed, prophesied under the Lord's instruction that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. This is what he said in Genesis 49.10. The scepter, the right to rule, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Literally, until, until the one whose right it is comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. The Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. And so this little book gives us the lineage of David. It's interesting, in 1 Samuel, there's no, there's no genealogy for David. We simply meet him. Ruth gives us the defense for why David is fit to be king. And then finally, number nine, Ruth ultimately points to Messiah, David's greater son, our Lord Jesus Christ. You understand, I hope, that it is Jesus, it is the Messiah, who is the real hero of the tribe of Judah. It's not Boaz, and it's not even David. The story of Ruth is ultimately messianic. And that's illustrated by the fact that the only other mention of Ruth, in, the only mention of Ruth in the New Testament, is her name listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So those are the purposes for the book of Ruth. And again, we'll see them unfold and we'll see the, the key ones stand out as we work our way through. But I wanted to give you the big picture of where we're headed. Now, but one other thing to do before we leave the general introduction, and that is just to give you the time frame of the events of Ruth, it's just over 10 years. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, is 10 years in Moab. Chapter 1, verse 19, through chapter 2, verse 22, is the barley harvest. That's from mid-April to mid-June. One barley harvest. And then in chapter 3, verses 1 to 18, you just have one day in Bethlehem and one night at the threshing floor. And then in chapter 4, you have about one year. It includes the day of the legal hearing when he redeems Ruth and the property, their marriage, the birth of their son, Obed, a little over nine months later. So, a little over ten years. Tonight, I want us to begin with just the first five verses of this little book. Let me read it for you. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now, it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both 
Malon and Kilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. These verses describe for us the sinful path of disobedience that takes a person away from God and the tragic circumstances that often lie at the end of that path. Elimelech and his family violate the covenant that they had made as part of the nation of Israel with God. They pursue a path of disobedience, and as a result of that, they experience the promised consequences of their choices. And that becomes the platform for the grace of God. Let's look at it together. First of all, in these verses, we see the desperate circumstances of the nation. In verse 1, Now it came to pass, or it came about, in the days when the judges governed. Now, those words provide us with three important pieces of information. First of all, they tell us when the book was written. The way it's worded implies that the time of the judges had already passed. We're now in the monarchy is clearly implied by that expression. Secondly, informs us of the time frame of the book's events. Boaz and Ruth, as we'll learn, were the great-grandparents of David. I won't take you through all the math, but let me give you the short version. Since David was 30 when he became king in 1011 B.C., we know he was born in 1041. He was the youngest of eight sons, so his father, Jesse, was probably born about 40 years earlier to Obed, the son of Ruth. Now, when you complete all the math, then, it's reasonable that this, or, this story unfolded about 11, in the early 1100s B.C., So it likely occurred during the judgeship of either Gideon, which many commentators believe, or possibly of Jair. That's the time frame of the book's events. Thirdly, this this verse gives to us, the first line informs us of the zeitgeist, the, the spirit of the age in which these events take place. Because it's the time of the judges, we know certain things are true. We know politically it was a time of great confusion. There was no central government in Israel. Again and again in the book of Judges we read, there was no king in Israel. There was no centralized government. Instead, there were, there were tribal governments across the land. And therefore, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Religiously, it was a time of idolatry, as becomes very clear in the book of Judges. And morally, it is equally clear that it was a time of great corruption and immorality. Those are the times. That's the spirit of the age in which this story unfolds. Now notice verse 1 goes on to say, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. In the land here implies in in the Hebrew text, in the way this, this expression is used, that this wasn't a localized famine just in the area of Bethlehem or even in the tribal lands of Judah. Rather, this famine covered much of Canaan. Now the question is, why was there a famine? Why was there a famine in the land? Although not all famines were or are judgment from God, in the Old Testament, and especially in the time of the judges, God frequently expressed his judgment on the sins of the people, Israel, in these ways. Go back to Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26, when God gave the law and the people of Israel 
put themselves under covenant with God, this is what God said to them. Leviticus 26, verse 3. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their season so that the land will yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. There's the positive side. But notice verse 19, go back to verse 14. If you do not obey me and you do not carry all these commands, if you reject my statutes, if your soul abhors my ordinances so as not to carry out all my commandments, and so break my covenant, this is what I'll do. And one of them in verse 19 is I will break down your pride of power. I will make your sky like iron and your earth like bronze. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part one of his series titled Ruth. Tom will have part two for you next time, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.